All right. I'm going to start. I want to flip to another scripture to start off with. Um, back in Esther. And 4, 10 through 14. Esther chapter 4, 10 through 14. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or, wo- or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death, unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not summoned, I have not been summoned to come to the king for these thirty days. They related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those times. Lord, we ask now that your spirit would move in us, help us to focus, just to dig into your word, to understand, Lord, that we may learn and grow in faith and love. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Um, Keep that in your mind as kind of a background as, as far as the scripture goes. There's a... Keith will tell you, I'm not the, uh, the, 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 I'll say the hardware person when the two of us work together. Tell him literally, point, tell me to point with the nail gun. And he pointed the wall, no, the other side of the wall. You didn't point to that side of the wall, you know, it's one of those. But there are things about architecture and such that I enjoy. One of the things that I really enjoy is like the keystone in an archway. I love the elegance of an archway. I love the, the rise, the fall. I love them in vaults, whether it's in buttresses and such. But one of the key pieces to it is that, that keystone that's in there. And it's usually a little bit different. It's focused for one purpose, and it helps hold up the arch by its shape, by the elegance of it. it and it gives the whole archway its purpose, or its ability, I should say. Without it, the thing collapses. It's just pressure falling in on itself. The stones aren't built right, and they fall in and start sliding apart. Um, in fact, some of the early builders would actually build it, and they didn't use mortar or anything else between them. The stones really held each other in place, and the keystone was the critical piece to it. Um, and that, that keystone piece is part of what I want to talk about tonight and, and how we look at it in our faith and how we approach it in building our faith, if you will, as an archway in reaching out to others. And there's a keystone that helps make it happen. Um, Let's go to James chapter 5, 13 through 20. We've got three main texts I want to look at tonight. And we're going to look at 
the broader context of the text and then move into the verse I want to focus on a little bit. The first one, though, is James chapter 5, 13 to 20. And it's this, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured forth rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, I really want to focus on that 19 and 20 verse, and it's about the thematic focus there is, is turning a straying brother, reaching out to brothers and sisters who are straying, who are in sin, and turning them. And you notice 19 is only part of it. If you look at the sentence structure, 20 says, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. Now, that phrase is not unique to that passage. In fact, it's repeated a variety of times in Scripture. Um, The context, though, is James, the old pastor from Jerusalem, is speaking out and he's telling people, look, there's three basic aspects of life that you should be focusing on. You're either suffering you're cheerful, or you're sick. In both cases, when you're suffering and sick, what do you do? Turn to God, lift it up, and it's not to be a sour face about it, but again, trust in the Lord. Now, that's an old pastor's instructions to us, and it's some some wisdom in that. We're either suffering, we're cheerful, or sick. No worrying, no fretting, Nothing else in there. There's a whole lot of other emotions we feel, though, isn't there? And he focuses on, look, these are the three. These are the ones that you have and should be focused on. And as you move down through that text, you get down to keeping ourselves accountable to brothers and sisters. There's the aspect of, and we've spoke on this extensively before, which is you know, the prayers and the prayers for the elders to come out. But then in 16, it turns to this. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And there's a direct connection there. And don't get me wrong, I'm not going into Christian science where they say, well, the physical, the reason you're sick physically is because this sin is this. But the Bible does relate that sometimes there are incidents of that, that there can be physical ailments, ailments, because of a sin. Now, that's not what we're going to focus on tonight. What we want to focus on is the fact that we should be confessing our sins to one another, reaching out to others who are in sin and helping them 
to be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. See, Elijah is used as an example. I love stories on Elijah. I love how he get upset. He, he'll speak out. He'll blow it. He, he runs the whole gamut of it. He's kind of like Peter. You know, and he just, you know, Peter had his second chance and got to come back for it. Elijah didn't. He blew it. And it shows pictures of how we are as people when we get frustrated, when we lose control, or when we really put our faith in God and step out there and do amazing and miraculous things. And he comes down to, though, is when you're looking at how you respond, if you have that kind of faith, he says, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, that's what we are to be doing as brothers and sisters. We are to keep ourselves accountable to each other, to reach out to one another, and then from there, God is going to utilize those around us. God is going to have people ready to speak up. That's part of why I want to look at the, the verse about Esther because uh, passage about Esther because there are times that we're called on not to ignore somebody's sin, not to, huh, I'm going to call this person out publicly and say, here's what's going on in their life. That didn't do it. There are ways in which we are to do it. And we're to turn them. And turning is not something you do, okay, I'm going to huff and puff and I'm going to blow on their sail. That doesn't do it either. Turning is something that's done carefully, cautiously, and gently. In fact, if you look in Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 10, longer passage, we're going to focus on verses 1 and 2, but if you'd like to read that, Galatians chapter 6 <clears throat> says this, it says, Brethren, even if any one of you is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. <clears throat> For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with one who teaches him. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, the first question I have for you is, in looking at one of the things that strikes you is, what's the law of Christ? Not rhetorical. What's the law of Christ? Everybody's like, which one are we... John 13, 34, and 35 states it. A new commandment I give to you, right? Everybody can kind of mutter it under their breath. That you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know 
that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, what James tells us is to help, is to get in there. When somebody's hurting, when somebody's sick, when somebody's in sin, and you notice the terms is trapped, snared, caught. Those aren't something that usually, when you're stuck, caught, or snared, that you go, oh, I'm out of it. Is it? You ever been caught in barbed wire? You ever been caught in thorns and thistles? It's one of those things where every time I move, I keep getting worse. This is, and it takes somebody else sometimes coming along and helping to pull the branches away. That's just a little plant with little thorns on it. Imagine the stickiness in a spiritual sense of sin. Paul goes into more of the, the who, how, and why. I always think of a press release, you know, the what, where, when, why, how, you know, the, the questions you always want to ask. Well, James tells us to do it. In Galatians, Paul kind of unpacks a little bit, and he says, here's who's to do it, here's how you do it, and here's why you do it. Now, what that leaves is the what and the when. Or, excuse me, the, the where and the when. That's up to us. Okay? Again, remember Esther? The where and the when is up to us. When are we going to step up and do those things? Part of that is given to us in the who, how, and why. First of all, that, that phrase always struck me. You who are spiritual, I was like, that's just waits for me for the Pharisee to step up. Okay, I'm here to help you. I'm like, oh boy. And what the term really is focused on is that one who's spiritually led. In fact, earlier in the text, Paul is going through and he's talking about those who are flesh-focused and those who are spirit-focused. And he's, what he's doing is capstoning his passage there and saying, those who are really being led by the Spirit, you're the ones to go in and do this. This shouldn't be somebody who's immature. This should be somebody who's coming in. This isn't, you know, we don't do this half-heartedly. We don't do this, oh, you know what I'm going to do today? We don't jump at it like that. It's handled maturely, slowly. How? Two parts. One is in gentleness, but it's also in self-consciousness. I point this out because both of those have to come hand in hand. They are opposite sides of the same coin. One one comes in in kindness, and none of our doctors are here tonight. You know, is that your wound? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me rip that. Is it where it hurts? You know, sometimes the doctor does it. Does it hurt here? You know, yes, it hurts there, right? Denise <laughs> is like smiling, yeah. It hurts here. Yes, it hurts here. That's why I'm here. Hello. You know, and it's how we feel sometimes, but what is the doctor really trying to find? A lot of times that's most, some of the most tender hands as well. Once they figure out where the hurt is in moving things and checking things to care for and figure out how to heal. That's the gentleness that we're to follow. I think of when Christ, you know, the, the man who was blind and he, he used the mud and put it on a man's eyes. Do you think he just went, popped it on there? Can you imagine the gentleness of that? Of the Savior putting the mud on your eyes so you'd be able to see? That's how we would approach it. And the reason you, part of the reason you do it in gentleness is one of the real limiting factors there is the self-consciousness. Knowing that any one of us, as it says here, is each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. It's really saying here, you know what? You can make a mistake too. Guess what? Who hears without sin? 
my hands down here. Okay? Now, having said that, if any of us can fall into sin, how do we approach those who are in sin? Somebody who's snared. You know what? But for the grace of God, there go I. That's a way to approach it. That gives you a whole lot more humility and gentleness going in. Now, why? This, this is straight for, you know, Paul says, okay, sometimes you go in softly, sometimes you go in easily. Paul goes, love and commandment. That's why you do it, period. That's it. There's only one. That's it. And he just goes right for the point, which is a way of saying, look, I'm telling you to do, this is the person who's supposed to do it. This is what you're and how you're supposed to do it. And if you have any question about whether you should be doing it or not, yes, you should. Just like Mordecai said, yes, you should. This is the time for you to do this. Step up. If the Spirit's bringing it to your awareness, you are to be doing it. And that's part of what it, it, it's, it's talking about here. It's just, now, one of the things I think is interesting, too, is in verse 1 where it talks about restore such a one. The term there is as in setting a bone that's broken. Setting it so that it is straightened out. It is very much a medical term in how you help and restore, you know. We're required to do it. And some of the things we don't want to do is, as you come down into this, is the law of Christ says to do it. What he says now is, you notice how 3, 4, and 5 go a little different. And, and to me, they, they don't necessarily fit the context of what he's talking about, and it takes some unpacking to get into it, because it says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. And, and what Paul is getting at here is this. Don't go, you know what? Wow, I wanted to play the violin, but wow, you know, Scott's so good at it, I, I just, I shouldn't do this. Maybe, you know what, I just, you know, and I was going to play the piano, but both Regina and Jess are so good, I was just, you know, what are we doing? I'm just going to start talking myself out of everything, right? Okay, I, I'm doing comparison. On the other hand, I can walk over and start playing the piano. I'm great, I don't care what you guys think, I'm fantastic, right? If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, that'd be me playing the piano, okay? He's deceiving himself. Paul's warning us, look, if you think that you're spiritual and you haven't really reached this level and you're just thinking it yourself, be careful, you're being deceived. And actually, that's one of the cautions that we're also warned in Timothy with young Christians. It's how quickly they rise up. Sometimes we see them, right? They're rising up and they're on fire. And we go, all right, get in there, go, go. We push them up, push them up a little high sometimes. And like what happens when you get those stalks that grow too fast, too tall? And they tend to break. It's a caution for us. Each man is to examine his own work. That means we have to sit back and think about what it is we're doing. Why are we really doing this? If I'm going to go turn a brother or a sister, why am I doing this? Is there something, am I doing it for me? 
Or is this something where I'm really reaching out because I see where they're at? And I go, wow, that could be me. I, I, I've been there. I've done that. I, I can help with this. Now, there's, there's a little kind of interesting point with 6 and 7 and 8. I think it's very interesting that says this. It says, the one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. That means, and I'll say this for a court since he's not here, when you hear something and you, you've been moved and, and later on you're taught something, you're able to use it, make sure you tell the teacher. It does their heart wonderful. Because in those tedious hours and they're studying away thinking, why am I doing this? And Satan's chiseling at them. Why am I doing it? Did, did, did it really matter? Yeah, it did. I got a note. I got an email. Somebody said, by the way, that sermon you mentioned two months ago when you said such and such, I was able to use that. And they were like, well, I don't even remember what I said two months ago. You know, those are the kinds of things. And verse 6 tells us to do that. Next part's about sowing and reaping. And not to give up doing good. It's so easy to want to do that. We want to give up on someone. We want to give up on why are we doing this? Here they go right back to the same thing. How if we say, there I go, right back to the same thing. Wouldn't that be more appropriate? See, that's where the humbleness and the gentleness comes in that motivates us back to doing good. Because we think of ourselves and examine ourselves of who we really are and what we really are doing. Now, this is especially relevant, as Paul writes it, to those who have the household of faith. We are to do good to others. Brothers, sisters, neighbors, family, people we know, people we don't know. Um, uh, the other night we were out uh, eating and, this, and the lady came past me. I think Carolyn had patted you on the shoulder and she said, now don't be discouraged. And this lady came up behind and she joked her and she said, that's right, don't be discouraged, be encouraged. And off she went. I have no idea who she was. And she made a smile, didn't she? It was funny. And those little things were total strangers. But you know what? It was an opportunity to, to say, be encouraged to a brother or sister. You can reach out to brothers and sisters that way. And you may be reaching out to somebody that you didn't even realize needed it, but needed to hear that again. Now, this is why um, I want to go into a little more in-depth on one part of this, and that is Peter kind of takes what James and Paul does, and he goes into the why a little more. And he says, ordered, yes, but there's a little more to it than that. So flip, with it, flip over to 1 Peter excuse me, 4, 7 through 11, if you would, please. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Again, you have an elder pastor, and he is instructing and giving some information here. He says, chapter, or, chapter 4, verse 7, The end of all things is near, therefore. Now he's wrapping up and concluding his book, and he says, Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins be hospitable to one another without complaint 
as each one of you has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do as so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, do you get that in verse 8? Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. You notice how he's going back to kind of what James said? One who turns a brother, helps bring them back in, covers a multitude of sins. Peter points out, he says, look, it's the love there that's going to help cover that. Love is what causes us to reach out. Now, Peter's going into it, and he tells us to make sure we use our talents and gifts for each other, to reach out to one another. Um, what was it? Uh, uh, talking about Arnold and talking about coming in and singing for him. Using your talents and gifts. Now, you tell me that didn't move him. Okay? Sometimes those kind of, they're little things, they're sweet things, but they leave an impression on our lives like nobody can. Really keeping that fervor is where I go back to that keystone. Because you can have all these pieces up here, and as Paul says, without the love, we're what? Clanging cymbals. We're like that puffed up one going, well, I'll help you with that. Not a problem. Are we really helping? We're doing it for ourselves. But when we humble ourselves, and we get back to who we really are and what we're really doing, we go back to that fervor. And part of what I want you to understand is Peter wrote this and is talking about the love for one another. Well, that passage in John that we read earlier is shortly after the Passover feast where Jesus was coming around and goes to wash Peter's feet. And Peter's like, you're not washing my feet. I don't think so. What's Christ say? Well, if you won't let me do that, you have no part of me. And Peter's like, okay, do my hands and my head as well. <laughs> Jesus is like, okay, Peter, hold on. <laughs> you know, let's work clean. You don't need all that. That's what Peter's writing this up. That's his thinking. That's the context for him bringing in love one another. Because it was right after that that Christ looked at him and said, love one another. And I'm sure Peter, as he's writing this, is thinking back to when he was first told that on a very impressionable night that I'm sure is never out of his mind very far. Because love covers a multitude of sins. How do we keep that fervor? That's really the focus of it because if we're going to be ready to do what Mordecai says to Esther. We've got to keep the fervor up. We've got to keep going. And I had a friend of mine in college who was always, always beating me with this verse. It's Philippians 4.8. It says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there, are, if there is any excellence in it, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. 
And I tell you, I couldn't turn around without him hitting me with that verse. And he'd hit me with a verse. I'm like, yeah, we're going to go there. Really? Is there anything of good report in it? Is there? And he started through the verse. I'm like, oh, he's killing me with this thing. And at times, there were times I was, I was wanting to be rebellious and just, no, I won't. And he hit me with that thing. I'm like, oh, man, it's like a two by four between the eyes. And over the years, that verse has really, I come back to it because to me, it's one of those, you know, they, they teach you on the, at the bank, how do you determine a false bill from a real bill? You don't go out and look at all the fake bills. You focus on the real. And, and Paul uncovers it here. You know, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, pure, lovely, good or pure, these are the things you're to focus on. If you focus on these, these will move you to the love. These will move you. Now, we have a whole book of it right here. There are other things that we'll see out there that are of good report, that are good. But it keeps away the negativity. It gets away from the things that eat at our souls that we want to fret over. And allows us to, you know what, even when we're suffering and even when we're sick, to still be singing praises. Because we know what is the most lovely. We know what's the most pure. We know what's worthy of praise. And we keep our focus on it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your truth, which cuts, cuts to the heart, mends it and grows it and gives it real life. Ask now, Lord, that you will guide us, help us to sing, and watch over us and bring us back together. We ask this in your name. Amen.